Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Thanks again, team, for leading us so well. Uh, If you got your Bibles, grab those and go to Jeremiah chapter 28. We're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 28 and 29 uh, this morning. And uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, uh, maybe, maybe you don't own a Bible, there's, take one that's from the P-Rack in front of you. It, it looks just like the one I've got. If you go to page 1,233, uh, you're gonna find the place where I'm, I'm reading. So um, sometimes it's kind of hard to kind of find your way around the Bible. And just, just so you know, when you get to that page, 1,233, you'll see two columns. And I'm going to reading on the second column. You'll see a, a big 28, you know, bold number 28. Just so you know, that, you know, if you're not used to using the Bible, that, that's the chapter numbers. And you'll see throughout the paragraphs uh, and the sentences, you'll see little numbers. Those are the verses. So when someone says, you know, Jeremiah 28, verse 3, you look for the big 28, look for the little 3, you're there. Uh, and I'm going I'm to read um, that portion here in a little bit. Um, we started this series last week called For Our City, and uh, we talked about that there are wrong ways to relate to our city. Um, there, there's the, the church in the city, and this was more of just kind of a passive approach to being the church. Uh, we're geographically located in the city. That's one posture. Another posture is being a church against the city. Uh, this is a more of a dis- defensive posture or defensive mindset that can inadvertently lead to us versus them scenarios. There's the church of the city, which is the compromised church, which has really taken on the social norms of the day. And this is a church really lost their distinct Christian identity. And then we talked about being the church for the city. It's the church with a biblical worldview that's true to God's word, but also then is, is posturing itself for people, for all people. Not just people who are, who are Christian. And, and that's the series that, that, um, that we're, we're in. And we're talking about being for the city. And today what I want to do is talk specifically about what, what's that look like? How does someone be for the city practically? Uh, what, what does that mean? And what I want to do is I, I want to just gonna sort of base this in this text in Jeremiah chapter 28 and chapter 29. And it needs a little context. I'll give you more context after I read it. But I'm going to read um, about four verses from chapter 28 and nine verses from chapter 29. These are, these are two prophecies, one from a guy named Hananiah. Uh, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a prophet. And he's, he's basically preach, he's, he's, he's proph- he's prophesying something that's not true. And then we get to Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, Jeremiah is going to give his prophecy and, and really just give the real deal about what God's doing. One guy is going to want to tell people what they want to hear, um, and, and then Jeremiah basically is going to refute that and, and, and tell them this is what God is truly saying. So just a little context so you know what's going on there as I read uh, these verses. So Jeremiah chapter 28, uh, beginning in verse 1 says, one day in late summer of that same year, the fourth year of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, Hananiah, son of Azur, a prophet from Gibeon, addressed me publicly in the temple while all the priests and people listened. He said, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. I will remove the yoke of the king of Babylon from your necks. Within two years, I will bring back all the temple treasures that King Nebuchadnezzar carried off to Babylon. And I will bring back Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the other captives that were taken to Babylon. 
I will surely break the yoke that the king of Babylon has put on your necks. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, flip page over, go to uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. That's Hananiah, that's the prophet saying, hey, two years, we're going back home. And I'll I'll give a little more context here because he's writing to exiles, a conquered people, uh, Jewish people who are now in Babylon. And here's what Jeremiah uh, says in chapter 29. Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was after King Jehoiachin, the queen mother, the court officials, the other officials of Judah, and all the craftsmen and artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. He sent the letter with Elasa, son of Shaphan, and Gamaria, son of Hilkiah, when they went to Babylon as King Zedekiah's ambassador to Nebuchadnezzar. A lot of name choices there for babies, but we'll just keep going here. <laughs> this is what Jeremiah's letter said. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Uh, Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is God's holy word. Um, the context here is that if, 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 if you've been in one of our Bible studies or maybe you've read the Bible on your own or maybe this is all new to you, um, Israel's God, Jehovah, Yahweh, um, has, is, he's, he's made a covenant with his people and he's, he's required them to be faithful, to, to complete fidelity to him. And he's told the people from early on that if you go, if you go sideways a little bit, if you get off track a little bit, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to discipline you in order to get you back on track. Now, If I discipline you and and you don't get back on track, in fact, if you continue to rebel, if you become stiff-necked, if you refuse to listen, then I'm I'm going to raise the bar a little bit. Things are going to get uncomfortable. In fact, if you are so rebellious that you don't listen to me at all, what I'm going to do is I'm going to allow another nation to come in and conquer you, and you will be extracted from Israel, and you will be taken into exile. And that very thing has happened to Israel. They are now in exile. And the, the nation that has conquered them is Babylon. Babylon has, has, has destroyed Jerusalem, burned it to the ground, raised Jerusalem, not one stone standing on another. A lot of lives have been lost. And, um, and so Babylon has, has taken, uh, taken lives of people and also taken some of the best, the best and brightest of, uh, of Israel and taken them back to Babylon. And um, and there's a strategy to that because there are actually um, several things going on here as the people are now exiles. There's three agendas. Um, and really, an, an, another picture of wrong ways to relate to the city and one right way to relate to the city. Um, Babylon, it, it, postmodern theorists would tell you that if you're going to oppress a people, there's typically three ways it'll happen. The first way um, that uh, people are oppressed is if a nation comes in and conquers another nation, oftentimes what they'll do is they'll drive them out. 
drive that nation out. And so the people have to leave their land and they, uh, they become refugees, they become exiles. And we, we see this even today. We see people being driven from their land. And when people are driven from their land, what happens is they're extracted from their homes and, and, and then they become angry and they, they come back angry and they wanna take back their land. And, and again, you can see this. Think about the Middle East conflict. Think about Israel and Palestine. Think about the late 40s when the Palestinians were, were taken from their land and, uh, and, and Israel comes back and not, not try and understand why Palestinians are so angry because they've had their, their land taken from them. That, that's one way to oppress a people. But that's not what Babylon did. There's another way to oppress a people. That is, is to just push them down. Just grind them into the ground. I mean, just enslave them. Give them the most menial tasks. Give them the worst jobs. Make their pay very low. Enslave them and make life miserable for them. They're not second class, third class, fourth class. They're fifth class citizens. They're just the bottom strata of society. And that is a way to oppress people. But, but here's what happens is that when you oppress a people and you push them down and, um, and you enslave them and you give them all the worst jobs, you don't pay them very much, there are uprisings. There are insurrections. And, and people will, will fight. They, they, they want to assert themselves in society. Babylon hasn't done that either. Babylon has not, has not pressed people by driving them out. They've not oppressed people necessarily by pushing them down. They've exiled people, true, but they've left some behind in Israel, but they've brought the best and brightest to Babylon, and here's their agenda. Here's their strategy. What they're saying to the exiles is, you, you can have a great life here. You you can have money, you can have power, we will give you a great education, you, you, we've reserved some of the best jobs for you, and all you, here's what you need, all you need to do to, 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 to be in Babylon is just fit in. I mean, just, just, it's a fragmented society and everyone's sort of aligning themselves the Babylonian way and just fit in, just think like us, just, just fit in and you can have a place here in Babylon. And the strategy here of Babylon is, is a big word, it's, it's called assimilation. Now don't think Star Trek, think blend in, okay? It's, it's to blend in. This is Babylon's agenda. Friends, this is how Babylon will oppress people. They will capture you. They will conquer you. They, they, they'll let you know that they're in charge. Then they'll bring, bring you to their capital city and offer you a great education, offer you great jobs, offer you power and position. All you have to do, just blend in. Think like us. Be like us. And here's what Babylon is after. If that's the case, if people will blend in, then over the course of one or two generations, these people will forget who they are. You will be one of us. And that is Babylon's strategy. Now, on the flip side of Babylon, we've got this captive Jewish, these exiles, Chapter 28, you've got Hananiah giving this prophecy. And, and what's happening is most of the Jewish community that's been taken into exile has refused to be blend, they're refusing to blend in to, to the city. What they've done is they're staying at this place called the Kabar Canal. They are staying outside the city and they're not blending in. Actually, they're staying separate. Big word for it is tribalism. We will 
stay together as a tribe. We will stay together. We are going to build our own little ethnic enclave, little Jerusalem. We're going to set it up here by, by the, uh, the Kebar Canal, and, uh, and we're just going to keep our own. In fact, Hananiah is telling us, if we just hang in here, two years we're going home. We get our homes back. We get our land back. The stuff that was taken from the, taken from the temple, we get that back. Life is going to be good. Just two years. Hang in there. Just take care of your own. Just stay separate from Babylon. And this is, this is the, the agenda of, of the Jewish people in exile. You see, it's, it's, those wicked Babylonians, those people, look, we have to go into the city. We've got to buy groceries. You know, groceries. We've got to pay our bills. But we'll, we'll go in. We'll smile. We'll nod. But in our hearts, we disdain these people. We're angry at them of what they've done, how they're living life. And we are going to take care of our own. We're just going to stay out here and stay separate from all of that over there. One strategy is the Babylonian strategy. Blend in, assimilate. There's a good life for you here. You can feather your own nest. Make a name for yourself. This, this, is, this is really good. That's one strategy. Another strategy is... Just kind of hunker down, take care of your own, stay separate from all those, those, those bad people over there and just gonna engage in your holy huddle every weekend and everything will be all right. It'll all get better soon. And what God says to that, that strategy of relating to the city is wrong and that strategy of relating to the city is wrong. Blending in and, and forgetting who you are is that's not what I have for you isolating yourself, distancing yourself from the city and, and going tribal and just taking, that, taking care of your own. That's not my agenda. That's not my plan for you. Here's my plan for you. And I just kind of put this word activism. Literally what God is saying, I want you to champion Babylon's success. Specifically, chapter 29, verse seven, God says this through Jeremiah, work Exert some holy sweat for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. You gotta get this. This is so shocking. This is so surprising. In fact, the, the people, many people rejected this because here's what God is saying. He's saying, I want you to, to champion Babylon's success. And I think when people are hearing that, what they're saying is, Babylon? That that wicked city, that city that's full of idols, that city that has blood dripping from its fingers, God, you want me to work for the peace and prosperity. You want me to champion Babylon's success? After all they've done, after all the nations that they've conquered, after all the injustice that they are in, their hands are just, they're just filthy with it, and you want me to be for them? Yep. And what God is also saying is, I want you to think long term. It's longer than two years. Build homes, have children, find spouses for your kids, have grandchildren, plant gardens. I mean, multiply. Don't dwindle away. I want you to be for the city. In fact, your welfare, your prosperity, your peace, you're, you're attached to the hip of Babylon. And it's so counterintuitive that it just it sort of challenges 
the way we think. Because oftentimes we embrace the strategy of Babylon. It's, it's, it's about making a name. It's, it's the city to benefit me. It's about feathering my nest. I mean, I'm using the city to increase my quality of life. And it's not wrong to have food in the refrigerator. It's not wrong to have a car that works. It's not, that's, that's not, I'm not saying that that's all wrong. It's not wrong to have clothing. And that, that's a good thing. What, what I'm saying here is, don't use the city. And what Babylon is saying, use the city to benefit yourself. That's the Babylonian strategy. And can I just say, maybe you're here today and you've bought into that. You're blending in and you're feathering your own nest and it's all about what you can get. Well, you'd fit right in in Babylon because that's the Babylon strategy. Blend in, just think like us, act like us, feather your own nest, you'll fit in. Good job, good education, life will go well for you. And on the other side, many of us have bought into this whole Israel agenda, this Jewish agenda, which is take care of our own. We'll, we'll just, as long as people think like us, act like us, and we'll, we can have a relationship but if people don't think like us and don't act like us, we don't check all the boxes and we're not on the same and we'll smile, we'll nod, but in our hearts we often disdain. And God is calling people too is this championing of Babylon's success. And, it, and if you are a student at all of church history, what you'll see is when this happens, when there's a people who is for the city, the kingdom of God advances. Friends, we're dual citizens. We should be the very best citizens here on earth because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Christ followers, people who attach themselves to the name of Jesus Christ, we should be the very best citizens here on earth because we are citizens of heaven. And what Christ has called us to is to transplant the city of peace from Jerusalem and take it to Babylon. Plant it there and and when this happens, amazing things take place. AD 252, there's a guy named Dionysius. He's a church leader. Um, a plague has broken out in a significant Roman uh, city in the Roman Empire. And uh, this disease is taking lives, young, old, male, female, Christian, non-Christian. Um, it's indiscriminate in the lives that it's taking. And the church is impacted by this. And a guy named Dionysius, this, this church leader, he, he's writing a letter and describing how the church responded to this, this plague. And not only how they responded, but how they responded to their city. And so I'm going to read you sections of this, of this letter that ends up being written about AD 260. And Dionysius is just, he's contrasting the, the community of Christ with those who are, who are not Christian. He'll use words like heathen or pagan. It's not meant to be an insult. It's the words that we would use just like Christian, non-Christian. That's just the language of the day. And he's contrasting the response, the posture to the city. In fact, in some cases, the posture to their own families. Listen to what Dionysius writes. He says, most of our brother Christians show unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many, in nursing and curing others, transferred death to themselves 
and died in their stead. What he's saying is, is that when this disease struck this major, um, you know, major metropolis, and when people were dying, what happened was Christians, yes, they, they, they cared for their own, but they went outside the boundary of their own. In fact, they went to their neighbors, people who did not believe in Christ, and, and cared for them and nursed and, and, and cared for them. And in cases, some cases, the people they were caring for were healed. They were cured from the plague, but the people who were actually, the, the, the Christians who were caring for them contracted the disease and many of them died. And, and so there was this, this unique, and the, and, and the church, they felt like it was equal to martyrdom. They were so postured for their city that they just were caring for everyone. Now contrast this with uh, his description of, of those who didn't know Christ. The heathen behaved in the very opposite way. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest the sick, like half-dead creatures, could be seen staggering about in the streets or flocking around fountains in their desire for water. The sick died with no one to look after them. What was happening in communities were, 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 that were non-Christian was when a family member was diagnosed, or where it became evident that they had the plague, the family would push them out in the street because they knew that the disease was, was contagious. And they push them out in the street and, and Christians would see them staggering around and take them in and, and try to nurse them and, and care for them. And, um, and sometimes that was successful, some, sometimes not. Sometimes they were successful and the person was cured and sometimes that Christian who was caring for them lost their life. Here's why I'm telling you all of this. I'm telling you all of this because this is, a, this is a people who are for the city. And, and then there's this guy named Rodney Stark. He's a, he's a historian. He's writing a textbook. He's writing, writing a textbook called The Rise of Christianity. And he, he, he describes what happens after the plague, after the disease is lifted, after people have been cured. Stark, uh, he, he, he makes this assessment. He says the consequence of all this is that pagan survivors face greatly increased odds of conversion because of their increased attachments to Christians. Now, that's a professor talking. What he's saying is this. When those people were healed and cured, imagine this conversation. These are, these are people like, wait a minute. Everyone around here is, is about what they can get from the city and and it's about benefiting yourself. And you're, you're not an assimilationist. You're, you're not someone who blends it. You're not in this for yourself. You, you appear to be for everyone. That makes no sense to me. And I suppose that if they asked the Christian that, the, the Christian would say, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I, I, I am for the city and, and it doesn't matter if I'm wealthy. It doesn't matter if I have that education. It doesn't matter if I have that power or that, or that position. In fact, it doesn't even matter if I live. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? I'll, I'll be with Jesus. I, I, that doesn't matter to me. Or another one might say, well, wait a minute. I, I, most people just take care of their own. They, they go tribal and, and you went outside the boundaries of your tribe and, and you, you were for people who didn't even think like you or, or dress like you or listen to the same music that, or watch the same TV shows that you did. I know there wasn't TV then, so don't write a card. You, you get the idea. This is my, what, why? Now get this, by 300 A.D., more than half of the Roman Empire is now Christian. 
More than half of the Roman Empire, this is a group of, a, f- a fledgling group that was persecuted, a, a, a sect that was tried to be, that, that, that many leaders tried to wipe out. And now more than half of the population of the Roman Empire are Christ followers. How did they get this position? How did they get this power? Was it a hostile takeover? What, did they vote the, the right leaders in so they had the right, their, their right uh, elected officials in office to get their way? No, they didn't do any of that. They got position and they got power by losing position and losing power. They lived a selfless life for the benefit of others. They didn't buy into the Babylonian strategy of blending in. They didn't buy into the the Israel strategy. We'll just take care of our own. They bought into God's strategy. Let's transplant the city of peace and let's plant it in Babylon and live selfless lives not for our benefit, but for the benefit of everyone else. And because of that, people who were pagan, people who had no interest in Christ, looked at their own family that deserted them during the plague, and as Stark says, had fond attachments to Christians because they experienced love. Which means that if we are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, we must be the very best citizens on earth and we must fight for those things that are not right. We must work for the peace and prosperity of our city because that's God's strategy. Which means that when we see things that aren't right, we, we, we want to reverse that and, and ha- help people experience life as they ought to experience it. And that's what God is getting at. So he's trying to get into the hearts and minds of the exiles in Jerusalem. You're going to be here for a while. Exert some holy sweat and work for the peace and prosperity of Babylon. Now, let's just get practical. What are some next steps that I can take to be a person who's postured for the city? Some practical next steps. I'm going to hit these real quickly. They're pretty straightforward. The first one is straight out of the text. We need to pray for the peace and prosperity of the city. We, we talked about last week the, the idea of shalom or peace. We, we took that word bless and it became an acronym. We want we B for body, physical well-being. We want to pray for that. We, we want to, the, the L, labor, it represents economic or financial peace. We want to pray for that. E is emotional health, emotional well-being. We want to be involved in that. S, social or relational well-being. We, we want to help people have healthy relationships. S, spiritual. We want people to know Jesus because he is the Prince of Peace. We want to pray that into our city. And yes, we have a God which all things are possible. He can take the most ugly situation and make it beautiful. And when we pray this, yes, we can see that kind of transformation. But perhaps the greater miracle is that when we pray for the peace and prosperity of our city, not only do we see the transformation in our city, we see transformation in our own hearts. Because if you adopt the Babylonian strategy or you adopt the Israel strategy, then it becomes about blending in. Over here, it's, it's all about protecting our own and, and insulating from a, from a world that we, we might see as wicked. And, and, and what God is saying is, look, I want you to pray for the peace and prosperity of the city. And when we do that, it changes us. It changes our hearts. So that's one very practical thing we can do. We can pray this in our high schools. 
We can pray this in our college. We can pray this in the grocery store. You can pray this in your neighborhood. You can pray this in Salem and Kaiser and Staten and Monmouth and, and Jervis and Brooks and Albany, wherever you're from, wherever home is, wherever you work, your place of employment. You can, you can pray and work for the peace and the prosperity of the city. A very practical thing to do. The second thing that you could do is you could champion the city's success. That is what God is calling these exiles to. When we see things that are not right and we want to see things transformed and, and have people experience life as they ought to experience it, what we do is we're, we're stepping and we're standing in the gap. And by the way, Many of the ministries that have been started at Sam Lyons Church were started because someone saw something that wasn't right. Around the year 2000, someone said, it's not right that there are people in our city who can't afford to heat their home in the winter. So a ministry was started, Royal Order of Red Suspenders, Roars. And, uh, and this, this woodcutting ministry, which is still going, um, you know, years later, they're still cutting wood and, and delivering it to people because it's not right that people are in our city and they can't afford to heat their own home in the winter. Or there's, there's ministries that have popped, I mean, RTI. We said it's not right for young people to have all kinds of debt put on their shoulders. That's why we started RTI. It's not, children's ministry, we, we have children's ministry because it's not right for young people to grow up in our church and not hear about Jesus. And you're hearing more about this, that it's not right for parents with special needs kids to not be able to come to church together because there's no, nobody caring for their special needs children. We're, we're seeing all these areas, and, we're, and so we're initiating ways to champion the city's success. And it doesn't mean just starting new ministries. It's, it's also plugging into ministries here and outside the walls of the church. It's volunteering at Boys and Girls Club, Family Building Blocks, UGM, any place where you can volunteer and work for the peace and the prosperity of the city. Many of you are doing this so well. You're, you're, you're doing it. And, and favor rises. Favor rises around this place in our city when the city feels loved. So we want to champion the city's success. Last thing I want to say to us uh, is multiply yourself. God's, God's telling the people of Israel, don't dwindle away. Multiply yourselves. Have kids. Have grandkids. You're going to be around for a while. Think long term biological growth. And what, what I think the Spirit is saying to us is spiritual growth and how it connects to our vision is simply this. When you are championing the city's success, do not do it alone. Take someone with you. Be a spiritual dad. Be a spiritual mom. Do ministry with someone. Bring them along and teach them how to have a heart for the city. Bring them with you. Be a spiritual mom. Be a spiritual dad. Enjoy the moment when you become a spiritual grandparent. When you watch your spiritual son or daughter doing the very same thing that you did with them. Don't dwindle away. Disciple one another as we are seeking that our city be a city at peace with God. And friends, I mean, Paul would write to the church in Corinth and say, you have all kinds of teachers. You've got so much knowledge. I mean, knowledge is flooding into your brain. But here's what you don't have. You have so few fathers. You need a spiritual dad. You need a spiritual mom. And the calling on your life is for you to be a spiritual dad, for you to be a spiritual mom. And some of you are already disqualifying yourself, so yeah, but you, 
you don't know and my past and I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't know all the Bible. I don't know what page, you know, what page Jeremiah 28's on. I didn't either. I had to look it up. You've got what it takes. God, your past will not disqualify you for the future God has for you. He redeems us. Don't disqualify yourself. Multiply yourself. And why would, we, why would we want to be for our city? Because we want the name of Jesus to be a name. When people hear it in our city, there is just this holy hush. Just this wonder at who he is as people experience him through his church. Let's pray to that end. So Lord, today, as, as we are a people who are learning to be for our city, we are a people whom you've given a dream to. We want to steward the dream you've given to us, you, this dream of a city being at peace with God. Lord, forgive us if our approach to life in the city has been blending in and about feathering our own nests. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for maybe anger, maybe a hidden disdain for people who are not like us. Maybe they have different views on sexuality. Maybe they have different views about work. Maybe they have different political views, spiritual views. Forgive us for our hidden hatred. You've called us to live a life that's just surprising. And we need to remind ourselves, Lord, that your ways are higher than our ways. So that we submit our normal pathways of doing life to you. Now, empower us by your spirit to be a people who transplant the city of peace in our city. May you, may your name be made great in our city. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.